Hey, this is Pastor Keith with Epic Life Church. And if you're tuning into this podcast, I hope it's something that will encourage you. And maybe you can listen to it a couple times and as you're reading the scripture as well and come out with something new and maybe something to think about all day or talk with a friend and maybe use in a house church community or maybe on, on a, a chat across the, uh, the internet in this time that we're separated. Enjoy. great morning and a great Christmas. I can't believe that this week is Christmas. It's like on like that. It's been so fast. And uh, because maybe it felt like this whole year just was like a slow drag of our bellies across the floor of a I was kind of thinking of a slug, actually. So, <clears throat> but the socks are pretty awesome. Those cards, if you don't know what Alyssa was talking about, we've been sending cards out to the neighborhood, just the surrounding area. And they're just these, uh, these cards about that big. And they've been blessing, uh, cards of blessing, of encouragement, of, um, of joy in our neighborhood. And I think we've gotten a few negative feedback, but <clears throat> like take us off your mailing list. I'm sorry, it's a mass mailer, so we can't. So, uh, and sorry, we're trying to encourage you during Christmas time. <laughs> anyway, so um, which which just says a lot, right? So, man, what a blessing it is to be able to be here and share this message. And and as I, I I hope I hope that you get to spend time in the Word of God. It is so so amazing. And it just sometimes I'm sitting and I'm studying, and I don't want to I don't want to eat. I don't want to drink. I just want to keep going because there's so much fascinating and beautiful and wonderful and life-giving parts of the Bible. And this morning, I think is, is super life-giving if we allow it to be life-giving. Uh, there's, there's so much beauty in this and so, much, so many ways to, uh, to see God in, in the true light that we should be seeing him and not in the way that, that some Christian who acted like a, like a person who doesn't know Christ uh, in our life. And um, we read the gospel. This is what grounds us, which gives us truth, which allows us to go, yeah, okay, that was the person, that person acted that way, but this is actually who Jesus is. This is who God is. And this Christmas season, what a blessing it is for us to, um, to study the Christmas story in, in a different way. And honestly, every time a pastor gets up to preach a Christmas series, there, there's not a lot of leeway. I mean, it's, it's the Christmas story. It's the same thing over and over and over. So um, this, this uh, last couple of weeks have been really good, really fun for me. Uh, Christmas Eve, we are actually meeting for a Christmas Eve service, and it will be an outdoor caroling in the parking lot across the alley. And so please come. If you have a fire pit that you can bring, bring a fire pit. We're going to, we'll supply all the wood and... Um, and we'll, we're just going to gather around fire pits, and Justin's going to lead us in some carols. I think it will be hot chocolate and different stuff like that. That will be, of course, uh, COVID-friendly, and, and uh, we'll be taking care of all that. So please come Christmas Eve at 6.30. And then next Sunday, often the Sunday in between Christmas and New Year's Eve, we, we kind of, we, we ask people to, a lot of people are traveling, a lot of people are going places, so we um, make that a Sunday that we're not meeting here, and we're actually not going to meet here. I'm going to record a message, though, that I've been um, excited to, to um, offer to you guys and present to you called The Next 30 Years. And between Christmas, when Jesus was born, and the next 30 years, and kind of the, the idea of, of what's next, right? Um, Christmas was not 
the end, it was the beginning. So looking forward to that and what it means in our lives. So uh, this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, but also in Exodus and, and Psalms and Isaiah and Malachi, and because uh, the Christmas story is in the Old Testament. Excuse me. Do you hear what I hear? That song, right? Those songs, a song, a, a song, high above the trees with a voice as loud as the seas. I love Christmas music at the appropriate time, though. It cannot start in October, people. And I think they did start in October this year. I turned on the Christian radio station and there was Christmas music in maybe October or even September, and I turned it off. <clears throat> but songs, songs are so important in our lives and they impact us all the time. I remember one of the, the most impactful songs of my life. I was on a, uh, a bus. We were heading to a wrestling tournament uh, down in Clearwater Valley. So coming off the, the Grangeville um, Camas Prairie, dropping down about 2,000 feet into the Clearwater Valley, going to a wrestling tournament. Somewhere halfway along, <clears throat> the, um, the, the Harpster um, grade going down into the Clearwater Valley, my friend Lee Long handed me his Walkman with a tape cassette in it that had Dire Straits. And I turned on Dire Straits Walk of Life and it it just was like the best thing I had ever heard in my life. I, and I rewound it and listened to that song again and rewound it and listened to that song again and rewound it and listened to that song again. Uh, I loved that song, Walk of Life. In fact, when I was preparing the sermon, I went into YouTube and found Walk of Life, and which you should. You should go and listen to the Walk of Life. It has this cool rock organ going on, bringing it in, some woohoos, and just this, uh, I don't know, kind of country rock, uh, folk music, I think I'm, I'm describing it right, uh, that brings this thing out of me. I don't know what it is, but music has such an impact on our soul, doesn't songs do? Um, I remember the first, the first Christian rock that passed in a tape cassette across my eyes from my brother who went down to Lewiston, Idaho, an hour, hour and a half away to the Christian bookstore there and bought Whiteheart, which... And, and vital signs, and I listened to vital signs over and over and over on the porch of our house there in the, with the Walkman and the headset and until I stretched the tape and it was like, you know, you can't, you can't do that nowadays with MP3s and whatever. And then it was Petra, Grave Robber. Anybody, anybody know Grave Robber? No? Oh, come on. And go listen to Grave Robber for a while, man. That thing, uh, when, when I remember where I was when I heard Grave Robber and Petra singing that and, and uh, thinking about Easter. I remember when DC Talk released their time is ticking Jesus Freak album, right? And Christine and I were sitting way up in the nosebleeds because that's where we could afford it. And in this giant stadium in, in South Dakota listening to Jesus Freak as uh, DC Talk. If you don't know who DC Talk is, um, sorry. <laughs> Such a great group. And, and listening to this music just kind of captured me. I love it. When I listen to the songs of the the stage show Les Mis, Les Miserables, and the song of Bring Him Home, God on High, it just kills me. That song, the way a father is praying that this young man would be taken home to safety, bring him home. Music opens this door, this place in our soul 
this song, this thing that speaks out of our soul. It's hard to describe, and it, and it actually is almost impossible to describe in words, in spoken word. It needs to be described in song. Music opens a door to the soul and out of the soul. In fact, the, the fact is that we are going to be singing in eternity, for eternity. There will be song. Because God created, I'm a strong believer that God created music, right? And that music that he created um, is, is holy. Man has come along and put words to music that has made it maybe not so holy. But music itself is a very important tool that God has created. So Christmas is all about music, isn't it? There's just music all over Christmas. There, there's, there's a, a little over a million Christmas songs. You know that? <clears throat> and every year, another thousand or more are produced, written, rewritten, re-sung by different people over and over. Thousands of songs every year are, are presented to tell the Christmas story in some way. New albums of old songs, Christmas carols sung again, Christian songs sung by all. It's pretty amazing, to tell you the truth. When you hear someone that sings nothing about Christ sing a Christmas album, it still is stirring. There's something spiritual in it. You know, the Bible actually teaches us, we're going to get to a couple verses that say, the Lord is song. The Lord is our song, and the Lord is song. The Lord came surrounded by song on the first Christmas Eve. <clears throat> There's always been singing at Christmas time, always. And it started at the first Christmas. It's so beautiful, it's so wonderful. There's always been singing when humans realize who God is. The Bible is full of about 200 songs. Most of them are in the Song of Solomon, or in, in Psalms, of course. The Song of Solomon is a song. Um, most of them are in the book of Psalms. But throughout the rest of the Bible, there's still 40 or 50 other songs that are sung throughout the Bible and into the New Testament from the very first book to the very last book. Praising him, praising God for his greatness, mostly for his answer to prayer. In 1 Kings 4.32, it actually says that, that Solomon wrote a thousand songs. A, a thousand five is what it says. Songs is what he wrote. We don't have them in the Bible, but that's how many Solomon wrote. King David wrote even more songs. Christmas is surrounded in song. In fact, Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see song after song. You see Zechariah and, and Mary and the angels and Simeon and Anna, and they're, they're presenting these songs, these songs to God of thanksgiving, of praise. Songs spring out of a spirit-filled joy, a spirit-filled life. I love it that perhaps... One of the first songs that we don't know what the words were from John the Baptist. You know, when Mary came up the hillside to Elizabeth, and Mary had just become pregnant with Jesus, and she comes up the hillside, and the infant baby John the Baptist, who was not born yet in the womb of Elizabeth, would jump for joy in Elizabeth's womb, hearing the approach 
of Jesus, his Savior. That is remarkable. There's also a, a huge statement about the sanctity of life. And that abortion takes the life of a child who can have the Holy Spirit within him. The songs of Christmas were songs of hope realized, songs born from knowing, seeing, and realizing the truth of what was told in times past. These were joyous songs. They weren't songs of lament or dirges of, of sorrow or ballads of confusion. These did not question and wish and opine for or long for what could be or wasn't. No, these songs were the songs of celebration. The songs of the celebration of the fulfillment of promises. So beautiful, so wonderful. Songs glorify God. These songs glorifying God for the fulfillment of promises of old. Promises of old. You have said this, and now it's happening. How amazing is that? The promises of God always result in songs. In other words, when God promises things, we know they're going to be fulfilled. But there's usually a space. That space strengthens our faith. A song of jubilation is a song of completion, of jubilee, dancing and praising God. When I think of the Bible and I think of Jubilee, I think of Miriam's song way back in the book of Exodus. Miriam, dancing after the Red Sea crossing. Exodus chapter 15, verse 21. And Miriam sang this song. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled, hurled both horse and rider into the sea. And the the perspective of the song is it keeps going. Miriam's song, Crossing the Red Sea, was a, a song of celebration, of fulfillment of the promises of God, um, running from the Egyptians after a long silence. In fact, the long silence in the book of Exodus, we find out, is over 400 years. 400 years the children of Israel are in Egypt waiting to be redeemed, wondering where God is. We don't know too much about what happened in there and how or if God spoke to the children of Israel, but it was 400 years of silence, right? Waiting for the redemption of his people, 400 years. I don't know about you, but I think of 400 years, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around. America is 200 and what, 25, 30 years old. That's it, the country. <laughs> uh, 400 years is a long, long time for God to be silent. But out of that silence came the man Moses. Uh, let's face it, some of the best songs are written out of silence or sung out of silence when we discover this deep emotion welling up within us and we discover the answer and the, of the promise. So in Exodus, we back up from Exodus chapter 15, verse 21, Miriam's prayer, and we go back to Exodus chapter 15, verse 1, and we hear this. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. What is the then? Before that, the children of Israel came out of 
out of Egypt and they were heading to the promised land that was promised to them, promised to Abraham many, many years before that. This promise was to the seed of Abraham. This promise was to the people of God. And they had been locked up in Egypt for 400 years, yet kept teaching the promise of God over and over. And they escaped Egypt with the plagues. They came to the the sea. The sea was parted. They crossed the sea, but they weren't out of the water yet. The enemy was still coming, and they were coming through the sea, and they were coming to attack the children of Israel and completely wipe them out, the million that there was. But the Lord, of course brought the sea together and hurled both horse and rider into the sea. And the scene on the other side was a scene of jubilee. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This, this is my God, and I will praise him and my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. And the song continued, and dancing was going on, and celebration was happening because of the fulfillment of a promise. Little did they know that this, these words were a fulfillment of a promise and a prophetic word of a promise to come. It's really beautiful. The Lord is my strength and my song. If you're writing anything down, taking any notes, just write that verse down. Exodus 15, 2. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. Fast forward a few hundred years, and we come to a book of King David that King David wrote, Psalm 118. Psalm 118 the words come out of that prophetic song that was sung, Psalm 118, verse 14. The psalmist says this. Well, verse 13, my enemies did their best to kill me, but the Lord rescued me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. Songs of joy and victory are sung at the camp of the godly. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. The psalmist wrote these words that the the strength and the song is, is God himself. Is God himself. And so that was remembering the promises of the old, and it was prophesying to the promises of the future. Because several years later, there was, or in the same time, there was a man named Isaiah who preached a gospel to the people of Israel who were running away from God. In Isaiah chapter 12, we know Isaiah, if we know anything about Isaiah, we know that it is prophetic, talking about the branch of David, the promise of David, the promise of, of Abraham and the fulfillment of the promises of Abraham would come in the form of a Messiah. And the children of Israel would look someday back on Isaiah and read the text of Isaiah and realize that it was a prophecy for the coming Messiah. And so Isaiah chapter 12, in that day I will sing, I will praise you, O Lord. You you were angry with me, but not anymore. Now you comfort me. Now hear the salvation in this. See, God, see, God has come to save me. I will trust in him and not be afraid. The Lord God is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. With you, 
With joy, you will drink deeply from the fountain of salvation. In that wonderful day, you will sing, thank the Lord, praise his name, tell the nations what he has done, uh, let them know how mighty he is, sing to the Lord, for he has done wonderful things, make known his praise around the world, and let all the people of Jerusalem shout his praise with joy, for great is the Holy One of Israel who lives among you. I would encourage you throughout this week, if you have some time as you're approaching Christmas, to take chapter 12 of Isaiah and break it down verse by verse and just do some writing and praying about that chapter as it points to Jesus himself. But the same verses are in there, the same, the same lyrics are in there, if you will. See, God has come to save me, I will trust in him and not be afraid. The Lord God is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is pointing to Jesus over and over and over. And as Christians, we have, this, we have this wonderful, beautiful thing. The prophecy has been fulfilled. It wasn't just some man's super cool story written at some point. Prophecy was fulfilled, and these were ancient texts that were written in ancient times. And it's so easy for us to look at the text that we have, the, um, the pieces and the fragments of texts on, on papyrus and clay, and realize when and how it was written. But then, this pointing to a prophecy, there was a pause. There's the end of the book of the, the Old Testament. And that end goes into Habakkuk and the prophet Zephaniah and the prophet Haggai and the prophet Zechariah and it ends with a prophet named Malachi. And Malachi preaches this message to the children of Israel who were once again running away, but even more to the priests who were turning the children of Israel away from God as they were preaching things that weren't right. And at the very end of the Old Testament, I feel like this is, this is such an epic thing. At the very end of the, of the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verse 4 says this. Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations I gave him on Mount Sinai for all Israel. And it feels like there's, a, there's an end coming. Like the end of something big is happening. Remember to obey. Verse 5. Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day the Lord of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the father to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. And you want to turn the page and find out what's next. And it's blank. <laughs> and that page is blank for a little over 400 years again. 400 years of silence. A deep silence. At least the first 400 years of silence, we, we kind of knew what was going on. They were in the land of Egypt. They were slaves. They were still growing. They were still a people of God. But now there's a deep silence, a silence that we have nothing written about in our text. There is a lot of history written about it, although. Silence. 400 years of silence. A silence often prepares us to hear song like never before. Pre prepares us to know 
the song like never before. The deeper silence, the silence, the deeper the silence, the louder the song. Sometimes, I mean, I, I'll be honest, I love loud music. I love like drums and guitars and loud music. And I love a car with a really good stereo so I can turn it up the radio. But sometimes I'm realizing that this loud music isn't as wonderful as I thought it was, and so I turn the radio off for a little while. And maybe for a week I have no radio, no, no sound, no, no talk radio, no music in the car, because I want to turn it back on at some point and turn it up. And so I have this little game I play on my radio. Um, if, I've, if I've got a radio or a, a CD in there or whatever it is, and I'm playing these, and, and I always, in between songs, I always turn the radio back down. I'm like, okay, next song, you have to prove to me you're worthy of being turned up. Like somehow that song has, has that gifting. And so the next song comes on, I'm like, no, 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 that's not worthy of being turned up, and I keep it down soft. Until that next song comes, like Dire Straits and Walk of Life comes, and I crank that baby up so I can hear every single piece of it and hear it loudly and not just be used to the noise necessarily. The deeper the silence, the louder the song. There are good things that come from silence. Now, some of you are found locked in silence right now in your life, and some of that sil silence is because you feel like God is literally silent in your life. Some of that silence is because of hurt, of pain, of suffered from loved ones. Some of that silence is because of hurt and pain um, that's happening in your family. Or, or some of that silence is you read the Bible and, and it just doesn't seem to be leaping off the page like it used to. There are good things about silence. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. I think something Christine and I have discovered. As hard as it is to say goodbye, sometimes the, the joy of returning is really, really wonderful. And it grows the heart fonder. Silence forces us to think. It forces us to pause. It forces us to, to consider what we believe. Silence is the crucible of faith. It is where faith is born, where it comes from. Faith doesn't come, uh, doesn't present itself if everything is just happening loudly right in front of us. But when there's silence and there's a known promise, faith is strengthened. But God knew how long the silence would be. He knew how long was long enough. Galatians 4, Paul says this. But when the right time came, when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us. The Old Testament ends with a cryptic message in Malachi, confusing, and it seems like it was left wanting, kind of like it needed a sequel, and a sequel it got. A sequel was planned. But we were left asking a question, was Elijah returning? What about the long-ago promised Messiah? It's been hundreds of years already, and now there's silence? Is Elijah returning physically? How? What? Where? When? When is this happening? Silence. In those 400 years, there were wars, there were famines, 
There were plagues. There were empires growing and shrinking. There was growth and destruction. And there was no word from God. But mark my words, he was at work, wasn't he? We all know he was at work. When we look back in silence of our lives, we realize that God was at work. And we realize God was at work because of what Paul says. When the right time came, God sent his son. The right time means he's working to the right time and in the right space. He was at work. How was he at work? Well, there was a guy named Alexander the Great who rose up. Alexander the Great didn't believe in God, but believed that he was on a holy mission of bringing to the world the Greek culture. And Alexander the Great and his empire would spread across the region, and everybody thinks, hey, whenever an empire spreads, it's evil, 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 unless it's being used for good, good, good. Alexander the Great built cities and libraries and schools to spread the Greek culture. That was his mission, and he felt like it was a divine mission. Coming out of that time as well, the Roman Empire was already there, but it started to rise in power and became something more and, and spread this common language of, of, of Greek spread the common language in such a way that the Old Testament, the entire Old Testament was rewritten in Greek so that people who spoke Greek and Jews who spoke Greek could understand the Old Testament. It's called the Septuagint. We have that document, the Greek Old Testament. Rome would spread and Roman roads would be built and all roads would indeed lead to Ro Rome, which meant all roads led away from Rome as well. International trade became amazing. It became all over the world, the known world at the time, reaching into China, reaching into Europe, reaching into Africa. Jerusalem was more established. A temple was built in Jerusalem. Um, generations came and went and came and went and were told the old works of the old prophets. And then God prepared a man named Joseph and a woman named Mary inside of that 400 years. And their genealogies worked right up to the time of Christ. Then, then the silence broke. <laughs> Can you imagine this? I suppose when they were in the middle of this silence, they didn't know it was breaking. But here it broke. Luke chapter 1, verse 17. This is Zechariah, and he's in the temple, and he's, he's uh, doing the, the temple sacrifice and the, the incense to the Lord, and the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, shows up to Zechariah and speaks to Zechariah about the son that he's about to have. As he says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. And that son, verse 17, that son will be a man with the spirit and the power of who? Elijah will be on him. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of God. And 400 years later, the first thing the angel says is Malachi chapter 4, verse 5. <laughs> Pretty amazing. The silence was broken. It was interesting that Zechariah was given silence 
in this moment as well. It might have been forced on him in a little bit, but that silence, that silence that Zechariah would have would, would come out of the 400 years of silence, and now his own silence for nine months would happen. And out of this silence came a song. A song in greater ways than he even realizes that this song is. A song came out of the 400 years. A song that people sung, but also a song that was born. Oh, the first song came out of the mouth of the mother of Jesus, Mary herself, in what's called the Magnificat. A song that sung over and over and over, and is this magnificent song of praise. The song of thanking God for his answered promises. And then Zechariah would step out of his silence and sing a song. Some people call it a poem, a spoken word. But it was a song, and probably was something that then the church adopted, and in the church and the gatherings of the saints throughout the years would sing this song again. And here it is. You guys have that? I wanted to read it in the message. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. He came and set his people free, and he, he set the power of salvation in the center of our lives. And in the very house of David his servant, just as he promised long ago, promised, and through the preaching of his holy prophets, deliverance from our enemies and every hateful hand, mercy to our fathers as he remembers to do what he said he would do, what he swore to our father Abraham, a clean rescue from the enemy camp, so, he, so we can worship him without a care in the world, made holy before him as long as we live. And you, my child, prophet of the highest, as he was talking to his son, John, you, my child, prophet of the highest, will go ahead of the master to prepare his ways, present the, the offer of salvation to his people, the forgiveness of their sins, and through the heartfelt mercy of our God, God's sunrise will break in upon us, shining on those in the darkness, those sitting in the shadow of death, then showing us the way, one footstep at a time, down the path of peace. The child grew up healthy, spirited, Spirited is one word, right? He lived out in the desert until the day he made his prophetic debut in Israel preaching the word. John the Baptist arrived. And then the angel would split the night sky. The angel would split the silent night sky, making it a holy night of song. Telling shepherds lowly who rose from their silent positions to be the first to see and the first to tell, speaking and yelling, excitedly telling. These songs born out of this long plunge into silence were songs of praise for a promise of completion. A song of faith, a song of salvation, how beautiful it was. And through that, we see the song of a purchased 
from slavery, a song of deliverance, a song of forgiveness of debt, a song of the dawning of a new day, a dawning of a new song, a song of salvation. God was sitting and he was, he was setting the story of Christmas up for generations to come who would sing songs upon songs upon songs as the angels hearkened to it from the beginning of Christ, the newborn king, born in the stable. Has your year been silent? I think for a lot of us it has been. It's been weird for sure. And we'll look back on 2020 and think about the silence as we're going through it. Remember that silence is only noticeable, often is noticeable in the middle of it. And when we look back, we realize what God was doing in it, that perhaps he wasn't as silent as we thought. Has your life been silent? I want to encourage you to remember that in the midst of the silence that God is working, if he was working in the 400 years for something spectacular or something amazing, the song, the birth of the song of our soul, the song of the world, the song of life itself, he's working in your life as well. And the silence that you're feeling right now and the hurt and the pain and the disappointment, the disapproval, the sleepless nights, those times of silence, God is at work. The Bible says that and presents it to us over and over and over. Even in the apparent silence, God is preparing us for Christmas. Not, not the celebration in just a few days necessarily, but the reality of Christmas. God with us. God with us. Matthew 1, it's just in Luke and Matthew that we see the Christmas story. Matthew 1, verse 21. And she shall have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The, the name Jesus means the Lord saves. If you've ever wondered why the name Jesus, his name means the Lord saves, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this occurred. In other words, it happened. It wasn't just a story. It wasn't just a, a fairy tale. It happened. This occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. His prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will be, give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means the word Emmanuel, the name Emmanuel means God is with us. In more ways than we even, than they knew for sure, as we realize the Holy Spirit is with us, with us, in us, with us. If his name tells us who he is, faith demonstrates this reality. So please live in light of the oft-sung reality that Jesus saves and God is with us. Emmanuel, for the Lord God Almighty saves. <clears throat> this morning I sat down next to Christine on the couch and I was thinking through this message. I was thinking about Jesus being the song and how to, how to talk about that, right? How do you talk about Jesus not producing a song, Jesus not singing a song, Jesus not writing poetry that became song, or Jesus was, was came so that other people could sing songs, but Jesus is song, how do, you, how do you present that to people? How do you speak that? I can, I can say Jesus is strength. 
That, that seems easy for me. But to say that Jesus is song, that's what Exodus and Psalms and Isaiah was saying, that he is my strength and my song. Jesus is song. God is song. How do you present that? I sat down, I'm thinking about that. I sat down next to Christine with my coffee on the couch this morning, remember this? And I said, hey, what are you thinking about? She goes, oh, I'm, I'm singing a song. I'm singing a hymn. <laughs> and it was the song of my rock, right? I can't remember, tell me. Christ is the solid rock, I stand. No other. <laughs> How beautiful is that? That Jesus is our song, and the Spirit is within us, but he is, he is this, the essence of, of promise received. The song. Wow. It's remarkable. Let's sing one more song. And Merry Christmas. And may this Christmas be like no other Christmas. May this year as it ends be like no other. May you sing songs louder than ever before. It is not lost on me that our governor has told us not to sing during Christmas time. Can I say that again? Our governor has told us not to sing in churches at Christmas time. Not to sing at Christmas celebrations. Jesus is the song. The enemy is going to take as much as he can. He's going to take the song away. Don't let it.